Hello and welcome to Basketball Reasons. I'm Bill Oram from The Athletic, joined as always by my colleague Brett Dawson. Brett, hello. Hello, Bill. Good morning. Good morning. It is Thursday. The Lakers just lost a, uh, a close one against the Orlando Magic. Um, their eighth loss broke a nine-game winning streak and is their first loss to a sub-500 opponent. Um, lots to unpack from that game specifically, Brett, but uh, from in a macro sense, it brings us to the midway point of the season. The Lakers are 33 and eight, still first in the Western Conference. Um, you know, the halfway point of the season is is really symbolic more than anything else. It, it you know, there is no midseason trophy, at least not yet. Adam Silver hasn't gotten his way uh, quite yet on that. But um, uh, we, we're going to have some midseason awards here, some basketball reasons midseason awards. And um, but first, Brett, just overall impressions on on the first half from you, is this, is this year anything like you might've anticipated when you started on this, on this beat? I think the Lakers are better than I anticipated. And I think unless you're kind of revising uh, preseason expectations, they're better than a lot of people expected. I mean, I don't think it's a great shock that they're the number one seed right now in the Western conference that they're in first place. I think 33 and eight is a surprise. I mean, I think if you look back to the dialogue about the Lakers at the beginning of the season, it was they have two great players. And what is it around them? What is that roster? Is it is it complimentary? Is it not? Is it kind of a disaster when they go to the bench? And there have been times when it has been. There have been times when they haven't been great. Um, Times when they've been flatly bad when LeBron is on the bench. Um, But they've got guys who have really outperformed, I think, expectations uh, across the board. I do think there have been a lot of guys, Dwight Howard leading the way, who have been better than we anticipated them being. Uh, And I think as a whole, um, they're a better team at this stage than I think it was reasonable to expect them to be. I I just think I think 33 and eight is well out in front of what I would have projected at this point. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think most most rational people would agree with you. Um, Anyone who says that they thought they were going to be this good is probably not being honest. That said, I still kind of look at them as a team with two great players and a roster uh, that you're still not totally sure about. Now, uh, these last four games that Anthony Davis has been has been injured for, um, they've gotten great bench support. I'd start with Kyle Kuzma in Dallas and Oklahoma City. It's continued with. Quinn Cook, Troy Daniels, Jared Dudley has been really good for for his role, um, you know, defensively, especially. I thought there was a great verticality play in OKC, uh, knocked down a couple of, of shots um, in, in the win against Cleveland. And then last night against the Magic, again, this is a loss, but it really didn't feel like it just because of um, the way they rallied from 21 down. The, the performances they got from Daniels, Cook and Dudley, who I thought had the play of the game laying out to save the ball on the fast break. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It might have been the best out of bounds save I've seen in the NBA. The way he laid out into the side, in, into the sideline, right into the stands to actually keep the ball in play, I thought was incredible. Um, so, did he you know, actually they, stay in bounds on that play? I've never, you know, I, I have not seen a replay from I'd our say, angle, which is along that sideline. It was pretty close. So when when he in real time, I thought he was out of bounds, but it was also yeah. at the far end of the court. Uh, I couldn't see like where where he hit the court, where the ball was in relation to the line. I, I, the way he fell out, I assumed he was out of bounds, and then the play continued. So I assumed that the official had a better view of it than I did, um, and I just have, am giving credit for the effort and the fact that uh, it it kept it kept the game alive. Um, if it was a if it was a missed call, um, then that does diminish it a little bit. But I haven't seen the replay, so I'm going to go with the fa- go with it being um, with it being in play. Uh, Brett, I think there's so much to unpack in this first season and, and the, this first half of the season. And, um, and the best way to do it probably is 
is to dive into our midseason awards. I think that's going to be a good jumping off point to a lot of a lot of discussion about this season. Um, so uh, right off the top, uh, do you have a first half MVP for the Lakers? Jeez, let me think. Way to spring this one on me. Um, it's LeBron. It's I mean, it's it's LeBron by a wide shot. I mean, Anthony Davis has had a very good year. I think if the season ended uh, now, which is always a dumb thing to say because it doesn't, but um, I think Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert would be your your front runners for Defensive Player of the Year, and I think AD would probably be uh, in the front right now. It just feels kind of like it's his turn to win, provided he plays enough games. Um, but LeBron has been what remarkable. What's that? What a thing to say, provided he plays enough games. He's missed well, six at this point, but you're setting but us up for disaster. There's a whole half of the season left. You never yeah. know what can happen. I'm not talking about with this injury. I'm talking right. about over the course of the season. Sure. Um, but no, look, LeBron has been, he's been at times at his best. He's played some of some of the, the sort of caliber of basketball we saw from, from LeBron in his absolute peak seasons. He doesn't get there all the time. He has his off nights. He certainly didn't play. Very well last night against Orlando. Kind of weird. You mean, you mean when he tied his career high in assists with 19? Is, isn't it weird? I mean, like he played a he he did not play a great game. He did not have a particularly good fourth quarter. I thought he held the ball too long. I thought there were some questionable shots. And yet, you know, he ties his career high with 19 assists. But that's sort of the nature of of why he's the MVP of this team, I think, is because even on his nights when he's not great, he's their best player. He's their most important player. And, and the numbers don't lie. They, they've been an awesome team with him on the floor an even better one with him and Anthony Davis on the floor. And just, they just crater when he goes to the bench. And that <laughs> includes the minutes when Anthony Davis is playing and he is not. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a question. Um, LeBron is averaging obviously a career high in assists at 10.9 per game, seven and a half rebounds and 25 points a game. I, I think he's still very much in the mix for MVP. Um, and, and deserves all the praise that he, that he's getting uh, for the fact that he turned 35 two weeks ago. Um, and you, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of career marks coming up, you know, in terms of the all time assist list, the all time scoring list, he'll pass Kobe sometime next week on that. Um, which is a moment that I don't know if Lakers nation is totally ready for. Um, but I, 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 I don't, I don't think there's even much discussion here. Anthony Davis has been an incredible, um, supporting figure and I it supporting is the wrong word but he is clearly the the compliment to LeBron at this point he's a, he's averaging more points he's you know been absolutely sensational in on the defensive end he is getting it done offensively he's occasionally a three-point shooter but I don't think there's any question whose team this is at this point and that's LeBron and um you know, I, after watching him struggle last year, get injured, come back, clearly not at 100 percent, not not 100 percent engaged either, which was, um, you know, as probably a big as big of a problem for the Lakers as his injury was a year ago. It's a completely different player. You know, I've covered LeBron now for two seasons and I feel like I've seen two different individuals. Um, the love, the degree to which Le- LeBron is locked in, engaged defensively. He's fallen off statistically on the defensive end, but I still feel like once a game there's a, a play where he's really making a difference defensively. He's standing somebody up or he's you know making a play on the ball that shows that like, you know, he is still very much buying in on that end of the floor. So, you know, I think in general, I think that um, LeBron is pretty clearly uh, the MVP. That was an easy one. Um, how about the best performance that you've seen from a Lakers player this year? So I would actually go with Anthony Davis uh, this time, I think. And, and for me, although the 50-point game he had was really impressive because of what he did at the free-throw line, 
um, you know, that game to me, I think that actually wasn't the game where he went crazy at the free throw line. But the um, to me, the 46 point game against New Orleans, the second game against New Orleans, um, because that game is loaded for him, obviously, that game is meaningful for him. Um, and I think because of the progress it showed from the first time they played New Orleans, that first game, you know, he scored 41 points against the Pelicans the first time he played him in New Orleans, a very emotional night, and they won the game. But that game was a little weird. There was all that force feeding of him. The ball kind of stopped, and they just threw it into him and let him post up and really played an offense that wasn't their offense in order to kind of get Anthony Davis going against his old team. That second time, he played even better, 46 points and 13 rebounds, and everything just felt very much in the flow. It didn't feel like they specifically targeted him to try to let him, you know, uh, get his revenge or whatever that you know whatever he, they were trying to do that first game in New Orleans, it all felt very natural. It felt very organic, and he was awesome. Uh, and that that to me, although you know, look, there have been great games against great teams uh, by Lakers this year, but that to me was the most singularly impressive night. You're not going to go with Quinn Cook in the third quarter against the Magic last night. You know, it's it is the best game Quinn Cook played this week, but only marginally. What a good week for Quinn Cook. <laughs> the week of Cook, that's for sure. Also, um, you know what else is in the mix in Quinn Cook games? It's Quinn Cook at the Anthony Davis Ruffles launch party the other night when he really got on a tear on the Papa shot, which is one of those tricky Papa shots where the rim is just barely bigger around than the ball, and he figured out the angle. He got the angle going, the high arc, and sometimes the bank, and sometimes straight through. It was really a thing to see. I mean, I just stand by the fact that these are professional basketball players. And regardless of like how the, the Papa shot might be rigged, professional basketball players should be able to figure out how to make those shots. Like at the, county, at the County fair, when the rim is 14 feet tall and the, and it's only like slightly wider than the, than the actual ball, which is weighted. I still think professional basketball players should be able to figure out how to win a big teddy bear. I saw thunder players go crazy at the Oklahoma state fair, trying to figure that out. Just couldn't, they were really, really struggling. I just wouldn't do it in a public setting against like Joe's who were at the Ruffles launch party. I wouldn't give those guys a chance to beat me and pop a shot. I'm not, I'm just staying away from it if I'm Quinn Cook. But uh, to his credit, dove in. Diversion from the awards, timeout on the awards. Can we get a timeout sound effect, like a whistle, Mike Smeltz? You can do that on, on, on post-production. <laughs> Thanks. Can we get a quick review of the of the Anthony Davis Ruffles chips? Uh, yeah, I a little lime forward for me. They're lime and jalapeno. Um, the lime is a little bit strong for me, but otherwise very good. I, I think the jalapeno is a nice touch, and it's they're actually legitimately kind of spicy. A jalapeno is not your spiciest pepper, um, but they've got a really nice kick to them. So I, I Quinn Cook ate two bags of them after the party. Uh, I, I had a bag that I took home with me. It has not been finished, so maybe I wasn't quite as enamored of them as he was, but uh, they're good. They're solid chips. I would recommend them if you like the taste of those two things, and particularly if you like the lime. If you really like lime, you might like them, like, might like them a little bit more than I do, maybe more along the, the Quinn Cook level of enjoyment. So I like jalapeno margaritas. Okay. Is this like chip form of a good jalapeno margarita? Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good. They were serving uh, ruffleritas at the party. I did not partake. Um, but I, I do think the fact that they were serving them is an indication of kind of that 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 uh, that uh, flavor profile being in the chip. Society's gone too far for having ruffleritas. Okay, uh, time back in, Mike Smeltz, producer Mike Smeltz. You can uh, hit the buzzer. Buzz us back into the game. Game on! Game on! Thank you very much. Okay, uh, my best performance uh, of the season, you actually you actually hinted at it, was um, October 29th, 
2019. Um, if you can remember back that far, that was the uh, 26 of 27 free throw game by Anthony Davis. Um, if you remember, it, it was it was the free throws. It, it was it was the overall effort. He had four, 40 and 20 that night. Um, the Lakers won. They beat uh, Memphis. But it was the first game after Anthony Davis had hurt his shoulder yep. against Charlotte. And you remember late in the Charlotte game, he he jams his shoulder. And this is a, a, an injury that has periodically dogged him throughout the entire season. As recently as last week, I think we talked to him about it. And he said that he, st- he still feels it. So this is something he's dealt with. But that was the first game, presumably when the pain was its most present. He finished with 40 points, 20 rebounds, 26 of 27 from the foul line. Um, just, I mean, to me, that was just the most incredible thing I've seen out of any one player this year. And I say that fully aware that we've had you know what nine triple doubles from lebron lebron had 19 assists last night we had a 50 point game from ad uh against uh minnesota in december um you know lebron has been just consistently remarkable but in terms of a singular performance that i will remember uh, it was ad making 26 of 27 free throws and in a win he in his uh, so he scored 40 points or more four times this year including the 50 point game uh, he has missed two free throws in those 40-point games combined. Uh, three free throws, I'm sorry. So and that went, is why he wasn't my MVP. Yeah, so he, he goes 26 of 27, as you noted, in that game. He's 10 of 12 that first game in New Orleans. And then uh, the other game against New Orleans, he's 13 for 13. And then the 50-point the game, which was against Minnesota, he goes 10 for 10. So uh, in his big games, he's really – the free throw line has been critical. For a team that really does not get to the line as much as it should – uh, him getting there and making those free throws is very important. Absolutely. Um, okay, best moment. What do you got? That is a great one. Um, and I think that the um, to me, I I, I, I don't want to go back to the Anthony Davis New Orleans well, um, but I, I kind of do. Uh, yeah, because I, I I just for as much as I didn't like the offense in New Orleans and I didn't like the way they fed him the ball. I thought that game was meaningful in the sense of it did show you something about the way these guys had had sort of taken to him and how important that game was to them because of its importance to him. And I think that's reflective of what they've been as a team. I mean, they've talked a lot lately uh, in particular about this closeness they've sort of formed. And and I always tell people in in an NBA locker room, like they know we're there. So when people say, like, what's the vibe in the locker room? We don't really know because the vibe when we're in there is different than the vibe when we're gone. There's no question, but you can tell that this is a group that gets along. Um, I think it's a, a, a group that has a lot of fun together. Um, and I think that that game was reflective of that in some ways. I thought it was a great moment just to, that's a, a broader moment. It's not a singular moment. Like I could pick Jerry Dudley's uh, verticality moment in Oklahoma city where he then walked off the floor, just holding his arms in that position. Like the way a shooter <laughs> leaves his hand dangling. That was like my favorite, maybe individual move by a Laker all year. But in terms of like a, a game that I thought felt representative, a moment that was representative of the season, that New Orleans game was it for me. So I have a few, um, and I, I will I will narrow it down eventually. But you know, kind of on the emotional side, I mean, I go to that that New Orleans game also. I just happened to be coming down the stairs as um, LeBron uh, called a kid over and gave him his his sneakers that night. Oh, and I see yeah. I see the kid I see the kid going back up the stairs to find his dad. He's in a LeBron jersey and he's just sobbing. And it was just like, to me, I mean, this is, you know, this is, you know, I think this happens a lot. I don't know if sobbing happens a lot, but LeBron, you know, LeBron is a fairly gracious superstar. 
you know, we've seen him uh, give his shoes away courtside during, you know, in the last few minutes of games as he leaves the floor, you know, players always throw their wristbands and things like that into the stands. Um, You know, I don't know the full story of, you know, you know, why this young man loved LeBron so much or why it was such a meaningful thing to him. If, uh, if it was anything more than, you know, that's his favorite player. And that's a crazy big deal for LeBron to call you out of the crowd and give you his shoes. Like that's just on on its face, insane and overwhelming, but it was just, it was cool to see. And just a a nice reminder of kind of the human side of this with it, you know, that these guys, particularly the stars like LeBron, but really anybody who plays in the NBA has the ability to change lives. I just think that is, um, you know, but with just very small acts of kindness, like I loved that um, more than anything. And my video also got like two million views on Twitter. So I was going to uh, say you went viral out of it. So it was this a kind big, of big, this is a big moment bit, for me. Yeah, a little self-serving, a little bit self-serving. Yeah. If you, I, if, I, you if you haven't seen the video, you can go on over to my Twitter page and see it. Um, I, yeah, can I make I, a quick aside to say that Russell Westbrook, yes. when I was covering Oklahoma City, went through a stretch of giving his shoes to kids, and the kids would get super excited, and it was such a great moment that I decided I wanted to write about it, and I informed the Thunder that I wanted to do this, and he just stopped doing it. I, I just don't understand. That's all. That's the, that's my whole story. Let's move on. Um, uh, uh, other moment, like on a super personal level, um, the game in Portland, I got to have my three-year-old son sit in my lap for the first quarter on press row. Super personal, really doesn't have that much to do with the Lakers, but my family was at the game, had my son in, it with me in press row. That was very cool. Um, but if we are going um, Lakers-centric on the court best moment, I'm going with um, Danny Green in Dallas, the corner three. Oh, that's a great one. Overtime. Uh, you know, single single play that stands out to me the most um you know that was a and really i mean we overuse epic but certainly within the context of you know basketball games in november that was an epic regular season game in november um and it it was really all of it it was it was it was lebron finding danny in the corner it was dwight setting a very illegal screen uh, on Seth to get him open wildly illegal uh it was big shot met by big shot you know lebron Doncic, and then danny green from the corner um it was the, that was the most electric crowd I've been I've been uh, in this year, and you know, kind of that game just kind of set the tone for kind of this never say die um, identity the Lakers have um, have have had this year, where they are um, where they are, you know, just completely, you know, they're almost unkillable in the sense, you know, even the Magic last night build a 21 point lead in the third quarter and you think they're done and you think the Lakers just don't have it. They only have LeBron. Alex Caruso had left the game probably with a concussion. Um, it seems like, it seems like, you know, it's, they're finally going to wilt and they don't wilt. They, they proceed to um, have a, you know, a pretty remarkable comeback led by guys you wouldn't expect to lead them back. And I don't, I just feel like that identity started to form with that game in Dallas and and that shot by Danny green. So yeah. That was my that's my favorite moment. I think that game one that game more more I think than any other game this season announced the Mavericks arrival as like oh this, the Mavericks aren't just like a cute team that's going to fight for the eight right they're they're like a legitimate team they they were great that night it was a great game it's still the I think the best game the Lakers have played in terms of just sheer entertainment value um, that was a that was a, that was a, an awesome night uh, I was not there in Dallas but I was glued to the TV it was a really really exciting night to watch. Um, and then moving on, let's see what, I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong screen. Hold on. Let me get back to my list. Ah, this is a good one. I think there's room for some debate here. 
most important bench player? There is definitely some room for debate. Um, and I actually had a guy in mind, and then I changed my mind, and then I changed it again. And I think I ultimately have settled on KCP um, for a couple of reasons. One, he, he, I mean, he's, he's sometimes been a starter, and he's been good when he started. But I think the thing about KCP and the, the thing that, that Frank Vogel talks about all the time, it's consistency at both ends of the floor. He's not always going to be a consistent shooter. He started off horribly at the beginning of the year. He also had a streak this year where he just couldn't miss from three. But I think in terms of a guy who's going to pretty reliably give you the same things, he's going to be a good spot-up three-point shooter, which is you know the, an ideal thing to have in a LeBron James teammate. He's a really high-level defender on a team that I think – Still could use a little help stopping the ball. I mean, you know, they had a 20-block shot game. This is another game I considered as as best moment. Um, they, they, But that speaks to some, in some ways, the way they play, the way they press up. You're going to get by them sometimes. And I do think they, they could use a little more help on the perimeter just closing off some drives. He's pretty good at it. Um, and again, you just, especially at the defensive end and from an effort standpoint, you know every single night what you'll get from him. And I think that's, maybe the single most valuable trait in a bench player, but they've got some other guys you certainly could, could have in the mix. And I did, I went back and forth between him and another guy who I won't mention in case he's your guy. Um, but, but ultimately I think it's KCP. Okay. So I, um, I'm going to go with Dwight Howard. Um, but that was my other guy. Yeah. But I think there's arguments to be made for Alex Caruso. And I think there's an argument to be made for Kyle Kuzma because the, the, the question was most important bench player, not most impressive bench player. Kyle Kuzma, I think, you know, remains probably the most um, the, 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 the most valuable bench guy if he's playing at a high level, if he's contributing um, in the way that he is uh, um, it, 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 as in the way most people expected him to this year. But um, in terms of like the guy who has been most critical night in and night out, um, I think it's Dwight. Um, KCP was certainly on my list. Uh, KCP has been really impressive, really surprising. I think it's a good story considering all he went through. Like I would argue, eh, that's probably not fair. He, he, like Dwight Howard, has had a very fraught relationship with Lakers fans. And yes. I think it is, um, it's nice to see both those guys kind of get back up on, get on the right side of um, that relationship. But to me, Dwight, when he comes in, uh, and we've heard so many teams talk about the Lakers um the Lakers length and, and, and how much they just swarm you at the rim and how difficult it is to score in the paint. The fact that the Lakers can go from JaVale McGee, who is a, a very good shot blocker to Dwight Howard, who is one of the game's all time great shot blockers, frankly. Um, and, and put him right in next to next to Anthony Davis has just been incredible. And Dwight, um, I just think that Dwight has been a, a breath of fresh air on this team in almost every way. Um, you know, I think I think he's still doing a lot of the things that he did on teams that maybe rub people the wrong way. But the expectations are different now. He's not he's not the number one guy. It's OK to have your your number seven, number eight man um, be kind of the 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 comic relief in the locker room. It maybe isn't the it isn't right to have that guy to have that get that from your highest paid um, player and your starting your starting center, you know who the team is really banking on to change the fortunes of the team. And so I think, you know, in the locker room, Dwight's been great, but on the floor specifically, has um, really really helped the Lakers lock down that defensive identity for 48 minutes and not just have it be tethered to you know one unit. 
Um, he's been he's been great. Alex Caruso also has been tremendous. Um, we've we have all seen the numbers about how good he is next to LeBron and AD. Um, kind of almost Shane Battier esque in the no stats all star vein, but he's been um, he's been he's been incredible as well. And I think you know I, I do have concerns with the Lakers depth um, and consistency from guys like Cook and Daniels and Dudley, I suppose. But um, Dwight, KCP, and Caruso have all been um, have all been tremendous this year. Yeah, and I I think you know the reason it's funny that neither of us ultimately chose Kuzma, who is certainly their most like high profile bench player into the year certainly at least you know Dwight is Dwight might be their highest profile guy Dwight is a super famous human being um but I I think one of the reasons I said I chose KCP the main reason is consistency that just hasn't been there with Kuzma that's been one of their big issues is how up and down he's been one more thing about your your point to Dwight and this is the other reason I really thought about Dwight this is sort of a combination of Dwight and JaVale but in Anthony Davis's career um look and 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 I'm going by basketball references basketball reference position estimates, which aren't 100% accurate, but they give you a a sense of how much a guy is playing at which position. This is the most he's ever played power forward, uh, 65% of his minutes, Uh, even dating back that's slightly higher than his highest year in New Orleans. He was at 64% one year. And that's not exact. Again, it's not an exact science, but everybody for two years has been talking about Anthony Davis is really a center. You have to play him at center. He has to give in and play center. But JaVale and Dwight have allowed the Lakers to go a really different way. Uh, and Dwight's a huge part of that, obviously, because they, they've got a, a a really good center off the bench. They're not just starting a guy who can play there, but they're bringing another guy off the bench who can do mm-hmm. it. And it allows them to play. They're, they're sort of defying conventional wisdom. They're playing bigger and longer. And most guys, most teams talk about that when they when they talk about the Lakers. It's the first thing they mention, that length and the difficulty in shooting over them. And Dwight really allows them to to do that and let Anthony Davis primarily play at power forward. And uh, I, I feel like I know the answer to this, Brett. But uh, what do you have as your biggest disappointment this season? Oh man, that's biggest disappointment is a is a tough question because there's like it, it it encompasses a lot of stuff. There's a lot of different things you could look at. But to me, I think the thing we just talked about with the bench players, Kuzma has his moments. He's had great moments. He was awesome in Oklahoma City on a night when they really needed him. Um, but then you know they they play Orlando last night and and they he's not even on the floor at the end of a game when when a team has got you spread out defensively and he makes a lot of sense to have out there. On paper, he makes more sense than JaVale McGee, and he's not out there, which tells you something about the way he he had played last night. I don't know how much of this is, is he distracted by the possibility of, you know, the fact that he comes up in trade discussions. I don't know if it's the adjustment to a new role where there's been some talk about whether he could be more of a playmaking guy and have the ball in his hands, and we've seen some flashes of that. But... I think the inconsistency from him probably has been the most disappointing thing. Yeah, I think that I think that's it. I don't even think we really need to dwell on it. I just think that, you know, there was a lot of expectation for him. And, you know, I'm going to have a story later today at The Athletic that revisits what I said, kind of the questions coming into the season were. And one of those was, what does Kyle Kuzma's third year step look like? And, you know, it's been a step back. I don't think there's really any other way of, of looking at it. He hasn't found his rhythm consistently. He hasn't um, he hasn't established himself as the consistent playmaker that he, you know, certainly wanted to be um, coming into the season after his off season kind of focus on that. Um, that doesn't mean that this season that he can't, you know, contribute. That doesn't mean that he hasn't been valuable. He's had games where he has been absolutely the best player on the floor. I think you go to that Christmas game against the Clippers. Um he was, you know, would have been the player of the game over Kawhi, LeBron, Paul George, AD. So, I mean, he's been, 
he's been the man uh, in spurts for the Lakers. I just think they want to see more of it. And the fact that they, he hasn't done it has been disappointing. A couple of off-court things, Brett, just kind of for fun. I'm curious who, you know, we get it, you get a new team together. This Lakers team has a ton of new guys. Um, you know, it's our job to get to know them and uh, do, you know, we obviously interview players and, you know, try to extract interesting thoughts from them. I'm curious, uh, do you do you have a favorite guy to interview on the team? Uh, oh, a favorite guy. So I, when I saw this category, I was thinking about like actual favorite interview. Oh, best best um, best interview. I I did put best interview. Well, give me both. If you no, can. that's okay. Yeah. So um, I mean, I think the guy, and they 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 might. They're not both the same guy. I take it back. My, my my favorite interview to do was with Danny Green for the story I did about his tattoo. That was just a, a mm, fun, yeah. off the beaten path kind of interview. Um, and it was just something a little different. It was a different kind of story about these comic book characters who are tattooed on his arm, and they all have great story. You know, sort of marksmanship uh, is there is is the the sort of unifying factor uh, characteristic of all those comic book characters. And he sort of fancies himself as a marksman, a technician, as a shooter. So uh, that was fun. But I mean, in terms of just I almost hate to say this because it it sometimes feels like you're being uh, you're having your strings pulled in these interviews. But like Dwight is great. He's just great. It's it's just fun. Dwight had a two or two and a half or three minute bit about his pet snakes at one point this year where he was like sharing the names of his pet snakes and talking about the apartment that his pet snakes live in uh, and and giving uh, grief to a Lakers intern who was wearing snakeskin shoes. And he's he's. It's a lot of like uh, sort of weird uh, motivational book quotes and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. I cannot help but be endlessly entertained by Dwight Howard. I, I agree. I'm going to give the nod to my guy. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? I do. To my, my, to my guy, Jared Dudley. Of course. Uh, this, is, this is 100% um, repayment for him uh, sitting down with me for a lengthy and – delightful Q and a, uh, for the athletic that was, um, basically the premise was Jared Dudley will talk about anything, absolutely anything. And any, and he would, and he did. Um, it was, uh, it was fun to talk to him about, you know, his least favorite teammate and, and, uh, you know, guys on the team that he enjoys hanging out with and China and just in general, um, Jared Dudley is a great interview because he will talk about literally anything. There is nothing, you know, there are some topics, you know, you go up to a guy, even the other day, um, Dave McMenamin from ESPN asked LeBron a question about Kevin Love and and uh, Tristan Thompson. And if, you know, with them kind of being on the trade block, what he thought those guys might bring to a, a different team. And LeBron just kind of get, and LeBron is a very, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's a very um, agreeable uh, subject and he will, he will generally play ball with things. And on that one, he was just like, no dice. Jared Dudley has never done that. I don't think in his entire career, he, you know, if, if, if you wanted to ask him about players, the Lakers should trade for, he might give you an answer now, but the answer would be diplomatic. I mean, he's not going to necessarily be controversial, but he will, he's a great, just a great guy to talk to about almost any subject in the NBA uh, or not the NBA. And um, this kind of feeds into our next one, but you know, uh, there's, there's a a uh, a series that our colleague Brian Kamenetsky does each time the Lakers go on a lengthy road trip. It's called Where Orem Eats, Where Orem Should Eat, and and he asks me where I like to eat in various cities. And by the way, if you have suggestions for cities the Lakers are in of where I should be eating, please send those suggestions to me on Twitter at Bill Orem. I'm always looking for new suggestions. But Brian always gets uh, recommendations from uh, Ali Khan, who is the host of Cheap Eats on uh, the Cooking Network. And Ali has been all over the country and he's got you know great suggestions. 
But uh, Brian mixed it up this week, and he went over and asked Jared Dudley, who told me he was the king of Yelp, um, for recommendations in Houston and Boston. So look for those uh, it was, probably in the coming days. But it was uh, – go ahead. It was so good, and he was like – he was pulling in Troy Daniels for suggestions. It was great, great in Houston. I mean, like, yep. It was great. I, I, one quick other note on Dudley. I know we, we're going to uh, transition here, but the other night in Dallas, uh, Tim Cato, who covers the Mavericks for us, and Kyle Goon, uh, who covers the Lakers, and I were just like randomly – those guys were already engaged in the conversation. I walked into it and joined in and, and really enjoyed it. Like Jared Dudley was just really interested in talking about Spencer Dinwiddie's contract. And the things he did and didn't understand about the the weird sort of nature of it and the investment nature of it and how it works and how he wanted to talk to the players association about it. And this is just like a pregame locker room conversation. And it was just fascinating. It was fast. It's it's interesting because Dudley will give you a little bit of a window into what those guys are thinking about when they're not just playing or talking to us about pick and roll coverages. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's just a breath of fresh air. And I've, I wrote that in my Q&A, which if you haven't read, I think is an enjoyable read because of what Jared brought read. to it, because of because of what Jared brought to it, certainly. Um, uh, but because he was the king of Yelp and I, this was my transition, my segue that you interrupted. Uh, I'm curious, Brett, I, I know I've been on the road more than you have this year, but one of the one of the joys of being on the road in the NBA is is getting to experience restaurants and eat some eat some nice meals along the way. Um, have you had a favorite road meal in some, in, in any of the cities you've well, been to this year? Here's the biggest upset of the season so far is that I went to New Orleans and spent some time there, and yet I'm not going to give it my favorite meal. I'm not going to give my wow. favorite meal from a New Orleans restaurant. Now, part of that is I went to some old haunts in New Orleans. I didn't try anything new. The food was great, but I kind of want to branch out a little and and give it to some place that's a little different for me because I've li- I lived in New Orleans. So. Um, to me, the best meal I had was actually I had lunch in Dallas at the Pecan Lodge, a oh, yeah. barbecue spot in, uh, at your recommendation, actually. Um, but I've never been, I just know it's great, but okay. Right. Right. So, um, and look, it's, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about those new Orleans meals, but I still, I want to, I want to give props to a place that that's different for me. So, uh, that place is great. It is legitimately great barbecue. It's in the deep Ellum section of Dallas. If you're ever in Dallas, my goodness, go there. It's just a great kind of um, sort of refurbished area of town where all these old buildings have got new bars and restaurants and coffee shops. And uh, Pecan Lodge is is one of the most notable places there. Um, So you get like a a couple of meats and a combo. The side dishes are great. It's just it's it is just legitimately elite Texas barbecue. And I'm kind of a Texas barbecue guy when it comes to, you know, what region do you prefer? Sure. Um, so I'm going to keep it in Texas also, and this is an Ali Khan, uh, recommendation. It's funny, like, um, speaking of barbecue, this is not my, this was not my favorite meal because I have to pick one, but a great meal I had in San Antonio was an Ali Khan recommendation. And it was, uh, I want to think two, two, two brothers barbecue in San Antonio. Hold on. Let me Google it real quick. It was, um, it was incredible barbecue, although I had beef, not, not like barbecued beef, but I had a beef with the guy behind the counter because they they sell um, bacon wrapped jalapenos, and I I said, hey, can I get an order of the bacon wrapped jalapenos? And they're like, oh, I don't think we have enough for an order. And he goes back and looks, he's like, sorry, we don't have enough for an order. And I'm like, but you have some. And he's like, yeah, but not enough for an order. And I'm like, I will pay you full price for an order, and just so I can have what you have, because I'm only going to be here once. I want to try this particular side. And he's like, he's like, no dice, no go. So I didn't get I didn't get the the bacon wrapped jalapeno poppers or whatever uh, at at two. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. But my favorite meal 
it was also in San Antonio. Uh, I love San Antonio, by the way. I, I love going there. I know it's not a favorite stop for some on, on the NBA uh, itinerary, but I love San Antonio. And I uh, had a great meal at Carnitas Lonja. It's this like little shack that like you you wouldn't know that it has electricity except for the fact that it has a square to run your credit credit card. And it, you know, they, they has have like this pork that's just broiling and and um, amazing carnitas served with a lime and some uh, and and some corn tortillas. Um, super simple, but like really just absolutely out of this world. Best thing I had uh, that I've had uh, in the first four months of the season. That's great. I would also, um, because I do want to give an honorable mention shout out to New Orleans. I won't go into detail, but go to Pythian Market if you're in New Orleans. Just go there for lunch one day. They got a ton of vendors and everything is good. You can get like local fare, which I had there, but they've also got a great pizza place. It's an awesome, awesome food hall. Well, the best place in, in New Orleans is the Hi-Hat Hi Cafe. So we, we did. I did have disagree on that. Actually, my first I didn't say that was the best place in New Orleans. I'm just saying it's a great place to go. The the other I mean, like Koshan is a, the butcher is a fantastic place to go. You can go to Giacomo's. There's so many great restaurants in New Orleans. Just giving a shout out to something new. Yeah. Saying the best restaurant in New Orleans is, is almost impossible. A, a fool's errand. Yes. Uh, my favorite is Hi-Hat Cafe. Uh, I was going to ask you a couple other things. Um, Brett, this is your first time uh, covering the Lakers on a regular basis, being at Lakers home games night in and night out. Um you know, Lakers are famous for celebrities courtside. I didn't warn you about this one, but have you had a favorite celebrity sighting at a Laker game this year? Oh, man. Um, I mean, the most fun one definitely was Lizzo, without question, because she was so into being on camera. Um, that was probably the most exciting one. Um, I am not a soccer fan, but like standing in line in for the <laughs> this happens apparently sometimes I'm standing in line for the media room men's room at halftime. And I thought, oh, this this guy looks just like David Beckham. And then I was like, oh, it, it, that is David Beckham in line for the bathroom. So that's kind of like a cool experience just to have. Um, but to me, like a little bit of old school, the coolest thing probably was. You know, wh where we sit is is close to a corner where celebrities often are because it's a quick exit corner. Um, and Denzel Washington was like, I don't know, 50 feet from us. And that's cool. Like, that's just a cool thing. It's Denzel Washington. Yeah, I mean, those those are those are good ones. I've, I mean, I've had a few over the years in the in the Staples Center press room um, where it's like Rihanna's coming from the bathroom. I accidentally bumped into Spike Lee once, like going through the bathroom door um, the other night. I tweeted about this. Uh Got a text from Dan Wojcicki, who covers the NBA for the LA Times, saying, because I was still in the arena at halftime, I was just in the bowl, and get a text from Dan that says, uh, Kanye and Kim are just sitting in the press room. And <laughs> lo and behold, I walk back to the press room, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are literally just sitting at like one of these tables where like media people eat, and they sit there for the whole 15 minutes of halftime. And I've never, I've never seen that. Um, that and that was just random. Uh, um, but you know it's it's it is it is cool. Like Lakers, the Lakers still draw some pretty great some some pretty fun um, figures, and that is uh, it was true even when the team was bad, and it's it's all the more true uh, now. I feel like there were a couple of really good ones though in terms of like maybe some character actors I was excited to see, but I can't I can't I can't remember them right now. I mean, my first um, game I think at Staples this year. My first I think it was the preseason game, right? Rihanna was there, so that was. Yep. That was fun to tweet about and say it was a little different from Oklahoma City and anger everyone in Oklahoma City. That was that was enjoyable. I did miss the Kim and Kanye when I was not at that game. Um, I would have been very excited for that in 
2010, and at least for the Kanye portion of that, uh, I'm like marginally less excited now. Yeah, I get it. Um, okay, back to basketball, I guess. Um, and then we're going to wrap this podcast up because we've been talking for a while. Producer Mike Smeltz is pulling his hair out at the amount of editing he's going to have to do. Plus, um, he's also probably going crazy in that weird office he's in where there are like three landlines and they're, they've just been ringing this whole time, I'm sure. Yeah, in his stepfather's, in his stepfather's office. Um, with landlines that ring. Uh, thanks for thanks for uh, unplugging those so they didn't ring while we were recording. Uh, Producer Mike Smeltz, I appreciate that. Great burger there at stepfather's office. <laughs> that's such an L, such an that's, LA joke. That's a very LA. That was an extremely LA joke. <laughs> um, okay, uh, last thing, Brett. The Lakers are thirty-three and eight on January sixteenth at the midway point of the season. They are on pace. It's a big NBA thing. On pace for sixty-six wins. Um, how many wins does Brett Dawson believe that the Lakers will finish with? I am going to go with an even 60, which is still pretty optimistic because I think the Lakers are going to get to a point where I think if, if they maintain playing the way they've played at the level they've played, and they've got to get a little better against the best teams because they're going to play more of the best teams. But I think they'll get to a point where they can lock up the one seed. I think that's going to happen. Uh, and if that does happen, I would expect that they're going to rest some guys. I don't think this is a team. I think this is a team that's that's taken the the regular season very seriously. I think it's a team that would very much like the number one seed, and you can contrast them uh, dramatically to say the Clippers in the way they've approached the regular season. So I do think they want to pursue it. But I think if they get into good position to get that, um, they're not a team that's going to care about a number. They're not going to say, let's get to 65. They're not going to say, let's get to 70 and break the Lakers record. So I think a nice like 60, 61, but I'll, I'll say 60. So I'm a little more bullish, but your but your points are all super valid. Uh, I, I went 62, um, but I do think there's going to be some resting down the stretch. Uh, it's kind of, it's been openly discussed in the locker room. Well, hold on. It's been discussed by Jared Dudley. So as we've previously noted, Jared Dudley will talk about anything. But um, Jared Dudley said the other night that like that's kind of this team's approach to load management is build enough of a lead that come April, they can do their load managing on the back end. And, you know, maybe LeBron and AD can start getting their rest. Then LeBron has acknowledged that as well. You know, if you get to a certain point in the season where there's no um, real point in playing those games, if you've got your seating locked up, um, you know, sit out those games. So I think, I think that's the Lakers plan. I don't necessarily know that those are losses by the way, like based on what we've seen from, uh, so from the Lakers in games without LeBron and AD, um, over the last few days. And if you look at April, I mean, the schedule is, um, not terrible down the stretch. I mean, there's a, there's a bulls game warriors. Uh, sorry, I'm scanning through my iPhone app, wolves, Kings, Suns. I mean, the Lakers could Go what, four and one, three and two, pretty yeah, easily there, and true. not do any damage uh, on their quest to win sixty-two games and to make me right. By the way, uh, because I'm a degenerate sports gambler, I'm in a uh, college football bowl pick'em with my uncle, my uncle Bill. Shout out, and his morning coffee group at the grocery store in Sisters, Oregon, every year does a a, a bowl pick'em. And every year I make the picks for my Uncle Bill. He pays the $5 entry fee. And if we win, I get the money. That hasn't happened since I was 12 years old. But this year, I did correctly predict the total score of the national championship game. I predicted that it would be 67. And it was something like 45 to 22 or something like that. So I was correct. I mean, um, if I had known you were this kind of 
Nostradamus-level predictor, I never would have engaged in this friendly competition yeah, with you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So 62 is basically fated to be correct. By the way, I just looked at this as we were having this discussion. Uh, 538 projects them at 61. Splitting the difference, splitting the baby. I, I think we're I think we're all kind of right on line. I mean, even even if you'd said uh, at the beginning of the year, is this a 60 win team? I think most people would have scoffed. I, um, think so. I would have. I don't think I, I don't think I envision them as a 60 win team. So that is what we've learned from the first half of the season that um, that we certainly uh, hold this team in much higher esteem than we thought we would. And, uh, you know, it's a credit to. Everyone involved, including Rob Palinka, by the way, who got a contract extension and a fancy new title, um, vice president of basketball operations uh, since we last spoke. Um, but we're not going to delve too much into that. I wrote about it. If you want to know my thoughts, Brett, anything else before we disappear for a week? Next week, we'll be coming to you from New York City, New York City. Well, you will be. I, I, I will be coming to people from right where I am right now, most likely. Wait, um, this, will be, this will be the first bi-coastal episode of Basketball Reasons. Unless you count Smeltz. I mean, he's always around. Nobody yeah. ever hears him. So, Whoever smelts it, delts it. That's what I say. No, uh, I guess the last thing I would say is uh, just it's, it's an exciting road trip on a couple different levels. Obviously, Laker Celtics is always a thing. It's Laker Celtics. Uh, but the, the Rockets are one of the better teams in the West, and the Thunder have not seen them yet. And so that's exciting. Uh, the Thunder. I'm sorry. I was just uh, thinking about the Thunder somehow. Um the, uh, the because of the Rockets, that's why because I did that Thunder Rockets game last week. The uh, the Lakers haven't seen them and they haven't seen uh, Philly. They haven't seen Boston, so they're going to see some real legitimate uh, playoff contenders. Maybe not title contenders in every case, but real legitimate playoff contenders who they haven't seen. So that makes this trip pretty exciting. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and by the way, uh, right before we started this podcast, the NBA released their latest All Star returns in fan voting. Uh, Alex Caruso. College Station, Texas native, Los Angeles Lakers reserve combo guard, has moved up to fourth in the fan vote among Western Conference guards. Let's say trailing he only, he is trailing only Luka Doncic, James Harden, Damian Lillard, which means he has jumped. What was he last time? Seventh? I think he was sixth, I believe. So he has he moved up from sixth to fourth, passing Stephen Curry. The two-time MVP, who has not played very much, but nonetheless, and Russell Westbrook. That's the one, right? Right, because Steph hasn't played, so like it's not obviously if Steph were playing, he would be in the top three. Um, so the, the the passing of Steph Curry, it's still impressive because it's Alex Caruso and and just on name value, but passing Westbrook is insane. I mean, like Westbrook is having a pretty decent year. It wouldn't be a shocker if he's in the All Star game. He probably. Shouldn't be, but but might be because he's Russell Westbrook. But that's remarkable for him to have more votes than a guy who is in a big market, not not this market, obviously, but is in Houston, which is a big market, which has traditionally voted uh, well in the all-star balloting and is like one of the most famous players in the world. So we got this information as we were as we were firing up this podcast. I believe producer Mike Smeltz has the audio recording of our real-time reaction. If you stick around after the podcast, it will be bonus content for subscribers to The Athletic or something. Mike Smeltz, are we doing this? Are we doing bonus content? Yes. We are doing bonus content. That was the voice of producer Mike Smeltz coming live from his stepfather's office. There wasn't even a phone ringing in the background. That's how committed he is to this bit. I'm Bill Oram. Brett Dawson is on the other end of this line. 
We are going to go. We're going to sign off. Please continue to support and read The Athletic, listen to our podcasts, uh, read the Kamenetsky brothers, listen to their podcast, The Magic Hour, every Monday. We are uh, coming to you every Thursday, uh, generally from my living room, but next week from New York City. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy the bonus content. Brett, thank you very much for your contributions today. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Bill. Safe travels.